The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that appear in this story, ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. David Paul Nixon, and you're listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. So, this episode was meant to be a short one. The idea being that with putting out a Christmas episode and a New Year episode in close succession, doing a shorter episode in January would be less work and more manageable. Alas, it it hasn't worked out that way. It was probably crazy of me to think that putting out a brand new case, one that hasn't come from the archive, wouldn't be so much work. I was, however, doing the research for the Christmas episode, and it seemed plausible that doing the work for case number 432 could be done at the same time, and unlike most other cases, this one took place during only one night and just in one location. There were eyewitnesses, it seemed relatively research-light. However, as you may have read in the news, or perhaps had the misfortune to experience, things are rough in the NHS right now. So getting the time of healthcare workers to talk about a strange and random event within their busy schedules was not as easy as I would have hoped. So the research was slow to complete. In the end, it took a lot of extra work to prepare and finalise the story, and then a rush to get it recorded. And then after all that, the length of it ended up being only slightly shorter than one of my standard episodes anyway. So rather than make this one one of the short series, a distinction that matters perhaps more to me than you, I've put it out as a regular episode. The attempt to make life easier by giving myself less work to do in the already busy Christmas period completely failed. On the plus side, you get to enjoy more content. On the downside, I'm so very tired. I won't say much else about the episode. I'll just let you experience the nightmare evolve. This is New Ghost Stories case number 432, and it's called Kept Overnight. And you can hear it in full, uninterrupted after these messages. Before we start, I want to ask a quick favour. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could give the show a review. It really helps people to find the show, and for me to share it with new listeners. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts, or on the Spotify mobile app, if you go to the show page and tap the three dot button. It really does make a huge difference. Thank you. And now, on with the story. Just to let you know, the narrator of this story is female. There was traffic in the corridor. There were too many beds and not enough places to park them or space enough to push past them. Sorry, I said to the porter, not sure where my minder has got to. There was a little boy in the bed, no more than seven years old. He was sniffling and sobbing. 
He had tear lines down his cheeks. I locked eyes with his mother. Aw, what happened? He was running up the stairs and he slipped, she said. We just had the x-rays. He's got to have a little operation so he can have his ankle put back in. Oh, you poor thing, I said to him with my child-friendly voice. You don't have to worry. I've been through all this before and you never even feel a thing. Their porter got behind my bed and released the brake. You just wake up and it'll all be done, I went on as I was reversed a few metres down the hall. The boy made a squeaking sound and looked up at his mum upset. She said, he's more worried about having nightmares, aren't you? I won't be able to wake up, he said. Oh, but you don't dream at all when you have an operation, I said. Trust me, this is my third one. You don't dream anything. You close your eyes, you wake up and it's done. He seemed unconvinced. With the jam resolved, I wished them luck as the porter pushed him down the hall and I was left alone again, waiting. I was doing quite well putting on a brave face myself. I'd had operations before, had my tonsils out when I was young and my appendix out in my early twenties. This time it was for a hernia. I'd moved house recently and had lifted a box of crockery from my back instead of from my knees. Home sweet agony. It wasn't really the operation I was worried about, although yes, I was still a bit anxious about that. It was what would happen afterwards that really had me worried. I get very sick after anaesthesia. I really puke my guts out. It can take hours before it completely stops. That's bad enough. But when you've just had an operation and you're stitched up. Last time I thought I was going to split my wound open. They'd given me some tablets about an hour ago. But they did that last time too. And it didn't make the sickness any better. I was filling buckets after. You see it's a weird thing to do with my head rather than my stomach. A similar thing has happened to me when I'm physically exhausted. And I stand up too quickly. I get an acute pain in my temple like a stab of lightning across my forehead. It's just like that David Bowie poster, but not awesome at all. And then I just have to wait until my stomach gives up everything that's inside it. My porter finally returned. Sorry to keep you waiting, Christina, he said. Let me take you through. I was charged through a succession of flapping double doors until eventually I hit a brightly lit room. There were people buzzing all around me. I smiled awkwardly at anyone who would make eye contact. Eventually someone said, How are we feeling? I'm ready when you are, I answered, seeming stoic. The anaesthetist came over to me with his gear and held the mask at the ready. Just lie back and relax for me now, he said. It's an open bar tonight, he placed it over my mouth, and all the drinks are free. I came around on the way back to the ward, which felt like way too soon, and it made me wonder what would have happened if I'd come around too early. Might I have caught them still stitching me up? Was it just by luck that I'd had enough to see me through the op, or had they given me exactly the amount needed for the operation in a very precise way? It was either impressive or frighteningly reckless, or maybe many hours had actually passed and I'd just been left in a corridor for hours again until someone had remembered to push me back. It's fun being in hospital. I was returned to the ward and parked in my space. 
No one seemed to have noticed I'd woken up, and I felt groggy. It's weird waking up from full anaesthetic. It's not really sleep. It's like you've been tuned out and then tuned back in again. You don't feel refreshed by it at all. I tried to get the attention of the porter, but he walked away before I could say anything. I knew that I had to keep very still. If I suddenly sat up, that would set it off. If I moved quickly or perhaps at all, the lightning would strike and the blowout would follow. I was going to try harder to be still this time, because it was really bad last time. If I could avoid being sick, I'd be able to get out of the hospital that afternoon. A hernia op is a very minor operation. I did not want to be kept overnight. There's seven other women in the ward, and at least one was going to be a snorer. Last time there was two. They were able to harmonise. It was awful. I could see one of the nurses, and I wanted so badly to just sit up and catch her eye. My mouth was drier than a martini in the desert. I didn't want to shout, but I just had to in the end. It felt like everyone in the ward turned to look at me. But she bought some water, so you know, worth it. I had to ask her to literally put it to my lips for me to drink. And staying as horizontal as possible, I held my phone over my head and looked through the podcasts I'd bookmarked, none of which I now felt particularly like listening to. I chose something about the Nazis. I quickly started to feel thirsty again. The water was on my bedside table, so close but so far. I reached across with my hand. I could feel the edge of the table, but I couldn't find the glass. I risked turning my head slowly to the side. That bitch had put it in the middle of the table instead of close to the edge. Very, very carefully, very, very slowly, I shuffled my body closer to the side of the bed. Keeping my head flat, I stretched a little further, a little further, and got my hand on the glass. I bent my elbow gently, brought it across, then up to my face. I tilted my head, sipped a little. Everything was still okay. I breathed a sigh of relief. They said they needed me to go to the bathroom to make sure everything was still working properly, but I told them I wasn't going to risk moving, not for a long while yet. I managed for a long time to lie still, head back, looking up at the ceiling, burning through my playlist and learning Hello Fresh adverts off by heart. A couple of hours passed. They started to bring dinner out to the other patients, and I was tempted. Boy, was I tempted. I hadn't eaten since yesterday. I have no illusions about the quality of hospital food. If there was ever a cynical tactic for freeing up beds, but it smelled like it didn't matter how good it was. I just needed to have it right now. I felt it calling to me. One of the nurses caught me following each tray as it was dispatched with my eyes. She asked me if I was sure I didn't want to eat anything. If I could have moved, I would have eaten her. But could I eat? Would I be okay to do it? It would require movement. My experiments at shuffling around and sitting up a little had gone without incident so far. How long did I have to wait before the risk would pass? Could I do this? 
I consented to Cornish pasty, mashed potatoes, peas and gravy. It arrived looking as delicious and processed as clip art. I had slowly raised myself up in preparation for it, with no issues. The nurse wheeled over the table, adjusted it and positioned it over me. She put down the tray and my mouth watered. I almost snatched the knife and fork out of her hands. The conspicuous lack of flavours was irrelevant. As soon as I had one mouthful, I lost it. I lost all restraint. I was shoveling it in one heaped forkful after another. The Cornish pasty was a monstrous puff pastry thing with a tough dried up bottom because it had been microwaved for too long. Didn't matter though. I kept on eating. I'd been going at it so hard, I didn't even notice that I'd been dripping gravy on my iPhone. So I put down my knife and fork and picked up a napkin to wipe it on. But I placed my knife too close to the edge of the table. And when I was wiping the foam with my napkin, I knocked the table and saw my knife starting to fall off. I saw it slip onto the side of the bed and it was about to drop to the floor. So I went for it. Quick as a flash, I lunged forward, reached out and grabbed it mid-air. My grip tightened around it and a sudden blistering bolt of electricity burned across my temple. I sat back up again. There was a buzzing in my head and a feeling of dizziness growing. Then came the nausea. I felt a frog growing in my throat. I slammed the knife down on the table. A nurse stopped in her tracks to look over at me. I need a bucket, I yelled at her. Please be quick. Kept overnight for observation. I was going to be fine, I told them. This had all happened before. I suppose once you reach your second hour of repeated vomiting, they've reason to be concerned. God, how I hated it. They talked at one point about getting me on an IV just in case I was left dehydrated. Fortunately, I stopped puking before they plugged me in. I had at least managed, post-aftermath, to make it to the toilet to take a piss. So my insides were working. No slip-ups in the operating theatre, at least. I lay recovering in the ward, with EastEnders on the telly, as if I hadn't suffered enough already. A sandwich had been left for me in the cupboard in my inside table. That's the weird thing about this. It's all in the head. The brain thinks something's up and causes the body to react. The doctor was saying it was like an acute version of seasickness. You should be still, but you're moving and the body knows this is wrong, you throw up because you interpret this confusing information as being caused by you eating something that's poisonous. Your body thinks it's protecting itself. That's a true fact. So I ate that sandwich and I didn't throw it up. But my head still hurt and I felt seriously burnt out by everything I'd gone through. I couldn't focus on anything. Even with the volume down low, the voices on the podcast were hurting my head. I tried to read, but I couldn't focus on the page at all. It was lights out at 10pm. What kind of grown-up goes to bed at 10pm? I knew I couldn't sleep, but I didn't feel like doing anything else either, so I was back to staring up at the ceiling. I didn't even have the strength to imagine shapes and pictures in the stained ceiling tiles. How do ceiling tiles get so stained anyway? I just wanted to go home and be looked after by my mum. 
The snoring started about half an hour after lights out. It could have been worse. It was a whispery, snorty sort of snoring, rather than a full-on buffalo-mounting-buffalo type of noise. But it made the likelihood of nodding off an even more remote possibility. I had a meditation app on my phone. I didn't use it much because I always ended up checking my phone during meditations. But I didn't have anything else to do, so I thought it might help me nod off. Just as I put my earbuds in, I heard a little laugh, a little cackle. Someone else was enjoying something on their phone. The curtain was closed around my bay, otherwise I might have been tempted to ask what they were watching. I tried to lie flat while the meditation began. I took in my deep breaths, one after the other. I started to pay attention to my sensations, to the feeling of my body lying on the bed, the weight of it, and then the full body scan, starting at my toes. I heard that cackle again. It took me off guard and I lost my focus. I took another deep breath. I knocked the meditation back 30 seconds and started again, slowed my breathing right down, feeling my toes, feeling a warm sensation passing through them, up through my feet and then to my ankles, slowly letting go of any tension. That laugh again. I tried to ignore it. It had to be quite loud for me to hear it over my earbuds, and it was becoming more high-pitched. It was really annoying. It had to be annoying other people too. Why didn't the nurses come in and do something about it? Releasing the tension. Again. Feeling the heat move through my thighs. Again. And up to my waist. It's fine for your mind to wander. Take note of that. And bring your thoughts back to the breath. Feel the warmth now entering your belly. But avoiding the scar. Pay attention to your chest as it rises and falls. The laugh was suddenly so loud it made me jump. I took my earbuds out and looked to my right. It looked like it had come from the bed right next to me. It was hard to tell, but I didn't think they had their lamp on. I couldn't hear the snoring now. Everything was very quiet. There was just a dim light coming in from under the curtain from the corridor outside. I could feel my heart beating. So much for trying to relax. I lost one of my earbuds among my sheets. I started to search amongst the bedding when I saw the curtain move, just by my bedside table. It looked like someone was pressing their face against the fabric. It looked as if they were about to push through. But they didn't. The curtain stayed still, a little off the floor, hanging on their head. They started to laugh. The curtain shook and they laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. Stop it, I screamed. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I leant over and reached for the bedside lamp. I was about to throw it when the curtain was yanked aside. There was this matronly night nurse standing there. She jumped a foot back when she saw me, just about to chuck the lamp at her. Hey, it's just me, she said. I lowered my arm and dropped the lamp back down. I started to sob. What is it, my love? She asked. There was someone there, I said, trembling. They were by the curtain and they were laughing at me. Oh, now, pet, there's no one there. It's only me here tonight. Look. She pulled the curtain further aside. 
I wasn't the last bed on the aisle, but I could see most of the rest of the ward. There was no one there out of their beds. I think everyone's asleep except for you and me, she added. And I realised I could hear the snoring again now. But the curtain moved! Your medicine might be playing tricks on you. Let me have a look here. She took a look at my chart. You're not on anything strong. You were sick after the anaesthetic, weren't you? I nodded. She stared down at the chart. Maybe you've got a fever or something. She came over and put her hand on my forehead. You do feel a little warm. I don't feel it. She took a moment to think. It's probably just a nightmare. Happens to people all the time. Everyone's sort of out of sorts when they're in hospital. I took some more water, blew my nose, and I tried to settle a little. I asked her to wheel me to the bathroom, but I just wanted to put some space between myself and the ward. And there was light in the bathroom, and I wanted to be somewhere where it was light. I thought she must be right. I must have slipped off to sleep while I was meditating. But it wasn't like me to sleep badly. When I'm off, I'm off like a light. I wasn't super keen to go back to the ward, but I couldn't leave her out there with the wheelchair forever. She pushed me back, and as I was wheeled into my bay, I had as good a look as possible at all the other beds, looking for anyone who looked like they were smiling, or had been out of bed, or was only pretending to sleep. But as the nurse said, everyone seemed to have nodded off. There were no other lights on, just the sound of snoring. Two of them were at it now, but neither was particularly loud. She helped me back into bed, refilled my water, and searched with me to find my missing earbud. When she left, I wanted her to stay. I felt very lonely there. The snorers were being very consistent. They sounded like machines compressing and decompressing. No lulls or crescendos, just very steady noise. Without going back to my phone meditation, I decided to just lie back and breathe in and breathe out. I closed my eyes and tried to relax as much as I could for the sake of my head. I didn't think I was going to be able to get off to sleep. I did the breathing for a little while and I started counting too because that can work, counting down from a big number. After going from 1,000 to 850, I was starting to feel sleepy. I wondered if I might actually do this. I might actually get some rest after all. I turned over to get another drink of water. There were two shoes poking out from beneath the curtain. I almost let the glass slip from my grip. They were just there, pointing at the bed, doing nothing. I must have watched them for over a minute. Then they suddenly vanished. For a moment I couldn't catch my breath and I found I couldn't scream as I saw a hand touch the curtain and then draw a line all the way from the side of my bed all the way to the front just to where the curtains would part. I watched terrified, my hands clutching at the sheets expecting someone, something to come through at any moment. But they didn't. Not right away. They left me waiting, trembling, knowing it could happen at any moment. Finally, it jumped through the curtain, hopping sideways. It was a man in a suit, but with his back to me. I gasped and brought my legs up to my chest before crying out in agony because of the fucking swelling above my waist. But I couldn't pay much attention to that. This man stood there, back to me, 
sniggering. His legs were spread a little. He wore brown suit, woolen and pinstriped. He had long hair tied up and back in a man bun. All he was doing was raising his left heel off the ground and putting it back again. It was as if he was about to bolt, leap forward and race away. But he just stayed there. His head started to twitch. It twitched to the left and back, as if it were going to turn and look at me, but never quite doing it. He started to giggle. The same awful high-pitched laughter. The fear had me paralysed. All I could do was breathe in and out, faster and faster, harder and harder. He folded his arms around his head. He bent forward and started circling his head up and down and around. He was making a howling sound, and then he followed it by making a high-pitched growl. I shuffled to the right of my bed. I was going to leap out, when he made a sudden sharp whistle, like a shepherd calling for his dog. I drew my leg back into the bed. I pulled my sheets even tighter to my breast. It was still now, and it started to turn its head towards me. I didn't want to see. I didn't want to see his face. I didn't want him to look at me. I was crying. I was squealing. I saw it look back at me from the side of its eye. Then his jaw dropped open. His tongue growled out. Then he started panting like a dog. I heard something. The sound of water. Water pouring onto the floor. A puddle was growing beneath his feet. He was wetting himself. Pissing on the floor. He dropped suddenly into a squatting position. He leaned over and put his left hand on the back of the bed. He started to howl. I knew what was coming next. I saw him twist on the spot. I rolled off the bed as he tried to leap on top of me. I crashed to the floor, screaming from the pain. I pulled myself onto my elbows and felt an enormous swelling in my throat. Then a heave from my stomach. Once more I was sick. I was sick in front of me, all over the bedside cabinet, and then I fell on my side and I was sick all over myself. The curtains were torn aside and the lights came on. The nurse cried out, What's happened to you? Are you all right? I couldn't form words. All I could say was something about the man, how I needed to get away from the man. There was no man, of course. It was all just some insane nightmare. I was so apologetic and embarrassed in the morning. I had to be given sedatives that night. I had to be held down. The night nurse sat next to me for hours before I finally fell asleep. Just for a few hours. The patience these people have, it is incredible. I felt like I couldn't look them in the eye the next day. Not any of the people in the ward. I guess the staff, they've seen is all before. One person sick as the same as anyone else's, I guess. Still, I made my mum promise to remind me to get them a gift. Some chocolates or something. Good ones. My stitches were checked again in the morning. No rupture, thankfully. No one seemed to have any idea what had happened to me. They hadn't had anyone experience that kind of turmoil. After such a routine operation, I couldn't enlighten them. It was as strange to me as anyone else. I couldn't wait to get home. 
It was still a little tough to walk, so my mum pushed me along in a wheelchair. As we headed towards the exit, I passed a familiar face. The young boy I'd seen the day before, he was being wheeled past me with his leg raised up in a full cast. Hello, I said, struggling to be as cheery as yesterday. How was it? Not too bad, his mum said. Managed to get him into the theatre before ten o'clock last night. He still looked miserable, his forehead hanging low. It's best to get it over with, I said, trying to sound positive. And no nightmares either, she said. We'll have to start putting him under every night. Even though his head was tilted forward, I saw his eyes look up at me. And in that moment, I felt a sudden chill. There was something in those eyes. Something dark and terrible. I felt like that boy he was peering deep inside me. I felt a shadow pass over me. I think all the colour drained from my face just then. Are you all right? his mum said to me. I couldn't say anything. Because now I knew what he knew. And I knew that he knew exactly what I'd seen. And he said to me, in a whisper, He never goes away. He always comes back. Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support what I do, please consider leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. You can also become a patron and enjoy some bonus content by signing up at patreon.com slash stories. This podcast is written, presented and produced by David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to find out more about New Ghost Stories, visit my website, newghoststories.substack.com. And to get all the latest from me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at New Ghost Stories. Next time on the New Ghost Stories podcast, a car accident, an abandoned home and a nightmare from the past. Ready when you are, I answered, seeming stoic. The anaesthetist, the anaesthetist, the anaesthetist, the anaesthetist. <laughs>